You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins is here as well. And uh, our our fearless veteran, Mike Chappell, once again uh, on the sidelines for this week. We anticipate Chapel will be back in the very near future, still recovering uh, from uh, from his uh Procedure, we will call it as we uh, procedure we or off. surgery. We'll have uh, to ask him about that. I don't that. know. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the <laughs> nitty gritty. He might only stick to procedure, but you know what that means at the end of the day. But um, no, uh, in all seriousness, Chap's doing well from from what I've heard from him. So uh, a lot of good things to to, uh, to think about Chap. So glad that he, all, all is good in his world. Um, we have a big show coming today on the podcast. Uh, some news surrounding training camp and team facilities. Um, we uh, had interviews this week with head coach Frank Reich, uh, Bobby Okariki, linebacker, running back Naheem Hines in terms of head coach and a couple players. Um, but we're, we're going to start this show with something that that is, um, of course, more than crept into uh, sporting headlines from the news headlines. And that is the uh, the protests around the world continuing with, uh, I mean, thousands of people, if not millions, as, as Joe points out in, in our um, in our rundown for today, just. Um, demonstrating against uh, racial injustice after the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, I, I, for one, I, I am a big, big proponent, being someone who's a sports reporter or sports anchor, of like, I, I really like to personally focus on sports as much as possible. I really do, because I know a lot of people will download this podcast and listen to us or follow us on Twitter because they want an escape from things in the world. This is a scenario where because so many people have spoken out about it and Colts GM Chris Ballard and head coach Frank Reich and players have spent so much time talking about it, not just issuing a 20 second statement about an issue that they feel is relevant to talk about, but going in depth for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes about um, a, a topic that has really impacted their lives. That is why I believe it is relevant to talk about in in a uh, in a scenario like we have today on, on the podcast. And really, more than just talk, I want I want to listen to what these uh, want you all to listen to what the Colts have to say. Um, and Chris Ballard, in particular, was incredibly uh, passionate in his um, in his just discussion with the media this week about uh, what he's gone through over the past ten days. Uh, with the team and with himself. Uh, I, I thought one of the best things, Joe, that, that uh, Ballard had to say was about how he was wrong in the past in certain areas and how he has failed uh, in the past in, in certain ways that has been really brought to light because of this um, this scenario that, that we're in. So uh, we're going to hear from Chris Ballard, but first we're going to hear from head coach Frank Wright because he spoke earlier in the week. So we'll just keep it in chronological order. Um, so for, for now, let's listen to Colts head coach Frank Reich and then Colts general manager Chris Ballard about um, the, uh, their experience this week with the team, with the players, with uh, the uh, racial injustice of, um, and the discussion that has uh, become so prevalent in the Colts meetings uh, because of it. Injustice. Few things, few things stir the human heart and soul like injustice. When we see it, feel it, experience it, it's heart-wrenching. It's not enough for a person who looks like me to say, I'm not racist. This kind of talk and thinking, it typically lends itself to a posture of neutrality, indifference, and passivity. It's easy to be silent and do nothing when it doesn't directly impact you. 
this attitude simply doesn't evoke any conviction about doing what is right and standing up for the inherent dignity and rights of all people, no matter the color of their skin. I stand firmly behind the cold statement, and in particular, the phrase that says, we abhor racism. Racism is vile, deplorable, detestable. There's no form of it that is acceptable, and in no way can it be justified. Our black community has bore the brunt of this injustice far too long. I believe that I, we all have a personal responsibility to speak up and to act in ways that build each other up, not tear each other down. I believe each one of us can make a difference if we're willing to grow personally and display the courage necessary for us to take steps of progress in this most important of issues. Just wanted to, just felt compelled to make a statement of spent some time writing and just wanted to share personally. I know we issued an organizational statement, but um, spent some time thinking and writing a statement that would reflect my own personal views and um, just cannot be silent. Want to be proactive and so um, want to do my part and feel responsible. I'm not here to talk about football. Um, and I don't have a, I don't have a prepared statement. I've got some notes, um, but I'm just going to talk about, you know, how, I'm, how we're feeling, how I'm feeling, you know, kind of what I've experienced here over the past 10 days, um, you know, watching what's going on in our country, then watch, watched what happened, you know, the last two days and which, you know, look, I've been in this league 20 years and might've been as most, as, as impactful a two days um, that I've ever been a part of. Um, and I'm proud of the leadership that we have in terms of Frank Wright, um, what he stands for as a man. He stands for everything that's right. Um, and, and to watch him lead right now makes me very proud um, to watch our players um, speak with what's on their hearts and on their minds. Makes me very proud to watch David Thornton, one of the unsung heroes of our organization, lead the charge um, for change. Um, he's, a, he's a special human being. He's a special person. I consider him a, a close friend and just lucky to, lucky to have, him, have, have him around and on our team. feel very fortunate. But I can't sit here and remain silent because that's exactly what we've done. And every time our black community screams and yells for help, we have to end social injustices and racial inequalities. We have to end the police violence against our black communities. You know, black lives matter. I don't understand why that's so freaking hard for the white community to say. Black lives matter. I've been ignorant. I've been ignorant to the real problem. Um, and I'm ashamed of that. I just came to the realization here over the last 10 days with some really hard, difficult conversations that we've had as an organization, as a team, with my family, with my sons. Uh, and I've been ignorant to the real problem. See, this is not a black problem. This is a white problem. This is, a, this is an issue that we have to talk about. And we can't, we can't sugarcoat it. We can't sugarcoat our way out of this. We can't go back into our bubble 
because that's what we've always done. We've always gone right back into our, into our bubble, and we've never really listened. We haven't listened. I haven't listened. We haven't listened as a country. White America refuses to listen. We want to keep things the same, and it can't. Or we're continue down the same path we're continuing down. And that has to change, and nothing will change until we do that. I'm ashamed of that. I'm embarrassed by that. I pride myself on connecting and really getting to know people and caring for them. And look, I, don't get don't get don't get me wrong. Um, you know, our children, my wife and I teach love and respect um, everybody, no matter what their 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 race you know, whatever their religion is, whatever their sexual preferentation, it doesn't matter. We, we teach them to respect and love, but we didn't teach them, you know, really what they need. To, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. And I had long talks with our kids, especially my son, you know, here over the last week. Um, my wife's out of town with the girls right now. Um, so my son's just been us in the house. And, um, you know, about what's going on in our country. And they have no idea. That's my fault. That's my fault as a father. You know, it starts when they're young. It starts in our families. Um, kids are not born to hate. They're not. They don't have any clue about race. They're taught it. They're taught it at home. And when I hear stories, it breaks my heart. Like the last two days, listening to our players talk, listen to our coaches talk. Well, what kind of place do we live in where they feel uncomfortable buying a, buying a car and afraid that they're going to be racially profiled because of what they're driving? What kind of country and place do we live in where a black man and his family go into a restaurant and they get second looks? It's not a good place. I was ignorant to the fact, I knew it, but I was ignorant to the fact that it was happening. And shame on me. That won't happen again. We're going to stand up for what's right. We'll stand up for what's right as an organization. People deserve it. This is about humanity. About human, this is about human lives we're talking about here. How can you, you got to have some empathy for the human life. We're all the same. Like I was naive to this. Like I, I, I'm very naive because I think, well, okay, I, I don't see color. Um, but I'm naive to think that everybody else is the same way. And, and, and then there's little things that I did that I didn't realize that was hurting other people. You know, we've had some great talks. You know, when I got to listen to a close friend that I've worked with for a long time, tell me, and I, and I talked to him and his wife last night, you know, tell me that, you know, the things they've had to deal with over time. And for me to not be empathetic for that is just flat wrong. Um, you know, explaining to my kids, they didn't understand the protest and the violence. You know, I explained to them, look, people are trying to peacefully protest, but, they're screaming and yelling for help. Like I didn't agree with the violence, but I understood it. Like I understood.
understood violence. They're screaming for help. They want to help. Look at the signs. I can't breathe. Stop killing black people. They're screaming for help. And we and it's our job to help. If you've got any decency in you, you've got to want to help. And that's our duty. That's what this country's about. That's what this country was built upon. How do we, how do we, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read because it said, I mean, it, it look, this is in our we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, that ain't happening right now. That's not happening. We consider and say, oh, yes, it no, it's not. It's not. How does the black community, and this is how I kind of explained it to my children, my son the other day. How does the black community feel when they see George Floyd with a knee on his throat and dying because of it? Then to have three people watch it, three other people watch it and not do anything. That's like, that. that's what we're doing right now as a country. We're watching it and we're not doing anything about it. That makes me sad. To have a fear that every time you live every day, you come into contact with the police officer. When a black American comes into contact with a police officer and they're scared and they're fearful of what could happen, that is wrong. That is dead wrong. This is how I put it to my son the other day. I said, I said, okay, close your eyes. And I want you to think about this. Police officer's got a man, got his knee on him. He's, he's choking him. He's sucking all the air out of him. And I want you to think that that's your father who's white. Think of what your reaction would be. And think about seeing that over and over again. What would your reaction be? You'd be angry. You'd be hurt. I want to thank all our players. All of them. Every single freaking one of them. They saw, they, they brought it to light. And look, you either, I thought Jacoby Brissett put it best when he said he, you're either part of the problem. I mean, you're the part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And for us to sit here and remain silent, well, you're, part, you're part of the problem. I want to do my part. I know we can't fix this overnight. I know it's going to take time, but I want to do my part. My family will do our part. You can bet on that. Um, I know you're going to have questions and that's good because I'm here to answer no football. This ain't about football right now. Football come and that'll, that'll play itself out and we'll have a good season. We got a good football team, but we're here to, we're here to talk about life right now and the problems we have in this country. Um, so I'll take any, any question you got. All right, Joel, you want to start? Yeah. Uh, Chris, um, Frank said the other day that, you know, he would never try to restrict the player's individual expression. Um, and it's, it's not completely fair to you to ask you to talk about the entire NFL, but do you feel that the NFL in the past um, has restricted that for some players, specifically, you know, with, with Colin Kaepernick kneeling and, and everything like that? I don't know if we – I'll take it this way. 
Well, like Gary, we didn't listen. I didn't listen in 17. You know, I didn't listen to Darius. I love Darius Butler. I love Darius Butler. He tried to explain it. I thought I heard it. I didn't hear it. We didn't listen. We didn't listen. All right, Zach Kiefer. Chris, you hit on this, but what did you learn the last two days in those meetings that you didn't know before those meetings? We have guys hurting, really hurting. That makes me sad, man. I mean, they're hurting. And I didn't, I didn't see it. See, Don Patterson, who I'm close with and known for years uh, in Kansas City and does some work for us. Don Patterson made a great point. It's one of the things I love about football. Like the locker room is really a special place, man. It doesn't matter your color, your religion. It doesn't matter. Like they got to come together and come together as a team. And it doesn't matter what your color, your race. It's one of the great fair places. Um, might be one of the, the last pure fair places we have. And, you know, Don made this statement because we all talked about it. You know, we talked about it. And, and Don made this statement of, well, you all talk about how special the locker room is. Why can't we take the locker room to the world? Well, absolutely. It's one of the great things about this game. And easier said than done, but he's right. Why? If, if everybody in America could experience what our kids do in that locker room, they would understand better because they all come together. But here's the problem. When our black players walk out of the locker room, it changes. Their mindsets change because now they're in protection mode. And a lot of them said they're numb. They become numb to the looks. They become numb to when they walk on an elevator and somebody moves the other way just because of the color of their skin. They become numb when they go to a restaurant and people give them a double look. They become numb to that. That's a shame. That sucks, man. That freaking sucks. That sucks. Um, all right, Kevin Bone. Chris, uh, obviously you, your word's been really powerful. What actions do you want to see your team take here in the coming days, months? Glad you asked that. So David, and David did this before any of this. So he reached out to the Players Coalition. <laughs> Uh, which was created by Anquan Bolden and, and Malcolm Jenkins in, in combination and working with the league. Uh, um, and we, I was really impressed by their approach and what they want to do. We're going to work with them. Um, and I was blown away listening to them yesterday, but you know, they got a great approach to the structural changes to a variety of problems that plague the black community, including criminal justice reform, police and community relations. Um, and we're really looking forward to drawing upon their expertise and guidance on these critical issues. They're going to work with us and we're going to work with them. And I encourage the entire league to reach out and, and, and use, and use them because they're, they're outstanding and they stand for the right things. I mean, I listened to Anquan Bolden talk and his group of experts and was blown away by the work they had put in and the things that they're doing, you know, change will not be easy. And it's going, to take, it's going to take all of us. And it's going to take um, all of us working together to create this change. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take us, you know, the power to vote, you know, to really dig in on the issues and to know 
who we're voting for and do they stand for the right things? Do they stand for the right things? Um, like, I, I mean, there's things brought up that I had no idea. I mean, I just felt stupid for not having, for having, um, not having an idea about what was going on. We've got uh, two more. Uh, Jim Ayala. Hey, Chris. I was just, yeah, I mean, I was just wondering about as the NFL now. I mean, they, there's clearly a lack of minority coaches, minority executives in the NFL right now. That's obviously something that I think can, would help with the, with the problem. I was wondering, is there something, is there things that you think the NFL can do and, and the Colts specifically can do to address, to address that issue? Well, look, let me say this. Jim Irsay, Jim Irsay is outstanding. He, he stands for all the right things too. Um, and look, I think we got to continue um, to put people in position to succeed. Um, Jim Mercy has a great history, um, and he didn't hire these men because they were because they were African American and black. He hired them because they were great coaches, great leaders. Tony Dungy, I mean, this guy's in the Hall of Fame. Freaking kidding me? Um, Jim Caldwell, I mean, these guys are great coaches. So I think we continue to to develop, and we've got some young coaches on our staff that I think are really good to develop. But there's no doubt we need to do more as a league. We need to continue to develop, um, and 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 get guys in position where they can succeed. Last one here is uh, Bob Kravitz. Uh, you mentioned that in 2017 you did not completely understand the whole Kaepernick thing. If your players were to kneel this coming year, would you look upon that any differently than you might have previously? Or what would your general view of that be? Well, whatever, whatever our team ends up doing, um, we're going to support, but we're going to do it together as a team. That's what we're going to do. We're going to support them and we're going to do it together as a team. We've said that all along. So whatever we decide to do, we're going to do it as a team. Um, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of that locker room. We're going to do it as a team. I understand, you know, why people took a knee. I don't like completely understand it the first time, but damn right I do now. That was Colts general manager Chris Ballard, and before that, Colts head coach Frank Reich speaking about their um, their experiences over the past week or two weeks with um, with the discussions uh, about racial injustice among team meetings and how it's impacted them. So, um, of course, the players have had uh, their experiences with it as well. We spoke with two Colts this week who each shared their thoughts about what's been going on. Those are linebacker Bobby Ogariki and running back Naheem Hines. Both of them um, really, I thought, were, were on point with what they had to say. So let's listen to both of them. Ogariki first, and then we'll get to Hines after him. Hey, Bobby, um, what was the environment yesterday during the team meeting? Did, did Frank give you guys a chance to speak on everything that's going around in our country right now and how much you're willing to share? Can you kind of give us a little insight into that? Yeah, it's been incredible. Um, honestly, these past two days, we really haven't even gone over football. Uh, we haven't installed. Um, and I think that's just important for us as players to know that uh, our management uh, from Coach Reich to Frank Ballard to Jim Mercer really understand the gravity of the situation um, in our country. Uh, so we've really just taken the time, uh, really two hours each day to just sit and talk. People have shared their experiences. Uh, and it's just been a huge learning experience for everybody uh, to just get on the same page and uh, realize the influence we have as Indianapolis Colts players and to try to figure out a plan of action of what we can do moving forward. Hey, Zach Kiefer. 
On that note, Bobby, um, I'm sure these conversations were passionate and um, are, what can you share from the dynamic of, of the room? Was it players mostly talking or coaches mostly talking or just a give and take and, and how did it, how did it go? Yeah. Um, I think the first day uh, really started off with players mostly talking, um, people sharing their personal accounts, whether it was stuff related with uh, police brutality or racism in general. Um, but it was, it was very emotional. Um, there were a lot of tears, um, a lot of compassion, everyone being sympathetic towards each other. Um, and I think as we transitioned to the next day, really a lot of coaches spoke, um, a lot of players, non-black and black players spoke, just kind of everybody um, sharing their experiences and sharing how much the day before touched them and meant to them. Um, I think for a lot of players on this team, players, staff, coaches, um, yesterday when we first had that conversation, that was probably one of the most impactful social conversations they've ever had in their life. And for me, easily. Um, so I think it's just been incredible having these conversations. And I think uh, we all need to, in our circles going forward, to have the change in this country we need. Hey, uh, Joel Erickson. Um, Bobby, what's, what's been your personal reaction to George Floyd's uh, murder and, and everything that's gone on since? Yeah, um, it's been emotional. Um, you know, I kind of uh, told my story a little bit. Um, growing up in Tustin, California, being one of the only black families um, in my environment growing up. Um, so I didn't necessarily face overt racism, but I felt some of it. Um, and I think it was just sad uh, to watch that video and to just know all the other accounts um, of people who have faced police brutality, whether it's caught on video or the ones that haven't been. Um, but I just think it's been positive to see, especially people in my young generation, um, kind of the momentum on social media, people in the protests, kind of just seeing everybody on the same page, um, realizing that um, racism is an issue in this country um, and that there is a lot we can do about it. And police brutality is one of the main issues that we need to attack in this country. Okay, Jim Iowa. Hey, Bobby, thanks for, thanks for doing this. I was just curious, you mentioned you guys talked about some of the things that you guys can do as a team and as players. I mean, have you, have you I know obviously it's going to kind of, you know, the focus will be talked about kneeling and all the things that happened with Colin Kaepernick. But have you guys talked about whether it be kneeling or something else that you guys can do as a team to kind of show unity or to, to protest police brutality or, you know, do those kind of things? Yeah, no, not specifically. Um, we kind of float around some ideas, um, whether we can have like a racial or social awareness month, uh, something like that. Or I know it's a bummer. We're not all in Indianapolis, but I think once we all have the opportunity to get in Indianapolis, um, everybody's going to feel that drive and that purpose to get together, whether it's going downtown in Indianapolis or doing something in our facility. But I, I think everybody realizes that uh, we all have to take solidarity in this issue and we have to come together, and do something together. Honestly, I think it was just really uh, powerful. And, uh, you know, despite all the stuff that's going on in the world, it was some passionate conversations, uh, not only African-Americans, but uh white males talking too and uh, you know like some coaches going up there being very passionate and uh, some guys saying they know about it and they need to do more some guys saying that, uh you know they know about it and they're raising their kids and uh, you know it was just big and it was big just for me just as a player listening to it for the past you know two days just you know seeing the unity that we have with the brotherhood and, you know it doesn't really matter what's really going on in the world all we got is each other we're all people and uh, that's what I really got out of it just seeing how you know despite all the bad things going on in the world Blacks, whites, you know, all sorts of ethnicities in the football team 
binding together as one and we all us, all of us saying we got each other's back you know it was really a it was really moving and really great. And I think a lot of great things were said and it was a very, very passionate meeting. And I think this really, this, this whole incident just really uh, built our team camaraderie, honestly. Have you ever been a part of a conversation like that with a football team? No, I haven't actually. It, that's what I'm, it, that, it goes back to, you know, our leadership and our ownership uh, started with Mr. Ursay and then, uh, you know, Chris Ballard and Coach Reich. And uh, I feel like they made that important for all the guys to hear that. And even today, you know, Coach Reich opened up the floor and anybody who wanted to speak could speak. And then even today, the same thing. And then even uh, Chris Ballard saying something. And that really, you know, that's, that's how we know we're a great organization. You guys have been around. I think we have a great organization. We have great leadership uh, from the owner down to the players. And I think that's what's really big and great about the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, Mike Wells. Hey, how you doing, Naheem, man? Um, yeah, man? Hey, I want to ask you more about Frank. Um, obviously, the situations have all been different, but what is it about – Frank's personality that allows him to kind of help keep a room calm. I mean, you go back to two years ago when you guys got off to the slow start, dealing with Andrew retiring last year, and then obviously with the COVID situation and then, you know, the unfortunate situation that the country's dealing with now. What is it about Frank that kind of gives you guys reassurance with him? Honestly, uh, it's just him as a person, calm, cool, collected, a very trustworthy guy. Like, you know, the the three T's he talks about, you know, team, together, you know, trust, all that. He epitomizes it. And for you to epitomize something, you have to teach it. You know, you have to practice what you preach, and he practices it. And honestly, it's like a Game of Thrones reference. I just finished Game of Thrones. He's like Jon Snow. Even if he wants to be the king or doesn't want to be king, people are drawn to him. And that's what I can say about Coach Reich. I've always thought the world of Coach Frank Reich. And, uh, you know, even before this, you know, I always thought the world of him. And, you know, he's just a leader. He's People are drawn to him, and he can lead. Okay, we've got Joel Erickson. Naheem, is, uh, uh, is race something that gets talked about in the locker room very often, subject of race? I don't think so. I mean, I think sometimes things come up about it, but it's not something that's really talked about. We talk about a lot of other things, but race isn't really something that's really ever really brought up. And, and does that mean – does that is that part of what made the last two days so special for you guys, that it was, it was able to be out there and in the open? Um – Actually, now, just, you know, uh, just past – after, you know, just thinking about everything that's been said the past few days, uh, I mean, I think it's great to be talked about because, you know, even just between whites and blacks all over America, sometimes race is, you know, the elephant in the room nobody wants to talk about. Uh, sometimes you want to make sure you say it the right way. And, you know, just to make sure you don't offend people. But I think uh, I think it was great to talk about. But, honestly, I really think we just don't talk about race because uh, in our locker room it really doesn't matter. Like, uh, like even when you're kids, like – you don't really care who you're playing with when you're on the playground, black, white, purple, red. I think that's why race really was never really talked about in our locker room because I see white guys, black guys, and all of us just all hang out together. So I really just think it really has never been a problem. That's probably why it's never been spoken about. All right, Jim, Jim Aiello. Hey, Naheem, thanks for doing this. I, uh, just going back to the kind of the, the team meetings and all the positive stuff that came out of it, I'm, I'm wondering, do you feel like that's going to, happen maybe in, in society. It sounds like you guys, like you said, you didn't, there's not a lot of maybe, you know, racism inside the locker room, but it sounds like a lot of the coaches and players have seen it out other places and might be more willing to talk about it and spread awareness about it outside of, outside of the locker room. Uh, I think it's a start. You know, I think um, even one of somebody, somebody, I'm not exactly sure who it was, but somebody in the meeting said that, you know, we should use our platform that we have now in the NFL. So I think it's, I think this whole, issue of what's going on in the world is only going to be as big as the people who have a platform make it 
And uh, even uh, the guy in the – I don't remember who it was, but the guy said – I remember, my, like, my favorite athlete growing up. Like, Chris Paul is one of my favorite athletes. Whatever Chris Paul said to do, I would do. So I think we have to use that, like, for the kids. And, you know, just even for just everybody watching. Everybody's watching what athletes are doing right now, what, you know, the higher-ups are doing and people with the platform. So I think that's really where it starts. I think, I think it's slowly getting better. Like, inflation maybe 1% at a time. But, you know, there's time for change. And I really just think that, you know, the people with the platform really just have to step up, and that's how things will get better. Do you, I mean, do you expect, I mean, I assume it seems like you've done some thinking about it. Do you expect uh, to be more, more vocal, more talkative yourself in, in the future about these kind of things? I would love to. Uh, honestly, just me, just, uh, you know, my, my parents were protest. Um, not my parents, my grandparents protested. Uh, my late grandmother mar- marched with uh, Martin Luther King and uh, my, uh, her husband, my grandfather, he actually uh, participated in the Greensboro sit-ins in the uh, 60s. So, uh, you know, just seeing things about. All right, we're good. Yeah. Last I heard you talking about how you had family marching with uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah, she's I'm, I'm I'm excited for all this stuff to get over so I can see you guys face to face. But uh, sorry about that, guys. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, uh, you know, having a family like having, you know, my grandmother marched with Martin Luther King and my uh, grandfather participating in the city. And just something I should be more vocal about because, you know, it's family, it's family experience. And, you know, uh, in life, you really only go as far as experience takes you. So I should really do a better job at leading because I've had, you know, family members that have peacefully protested, you know, the looting and rioting that's going on isn't, hasn't been great. It's not, it's not great. And that's not really what should be going on. But I think, you know, just guys like me and other athletes who know things about it, we should lead protests and, you know, try to be more avid in the community. Uh, those Colts running back Naheem Hines before that Bobby Okereke. And before we go on, I, I will add my brief, brief um, thoughts on, on what's gone on for the past couple weeks. And then Joe, you can share whatever you want to, but um, I, I believe I'll say this first racism is gross. It is disgusting. It is evil. And, uh, and it is abhorrent. And I, I personally grew up as an upper middle class white kid on the East coast. So I have very, very little, um, authority to speak in this matter. So listening is important. I believe dialogue is important. I believe going back and forth is important because some people, if you have, Um, If you grew up in some situations and you have certain beliefs that you might not think you're a racist person, but they could come with racist undertones like that's that's something that we've seen. I think we've we've seen stuff that like people say something they don't think it's bad and then they get they hit the cancel culture. Oh, forget this person. I don't I don't want to hear from this person anymore. So I I believe dialogue is important. I don't believe just jumping on somebody and saying, oh, I don't want to hear from you ever again is important. We need to talk. We need to have a discussion about this. Um, that, that, that's, that's what I'll add to it. I think being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry is incredibly important. That's a, 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 um, just a part, part of my faith that, that leads me to believe that that is important. And um, so that, that's, that's, the con- that's the culmination of what I will add to this discussion, Joe. And if you want to share anything, you're, you're more than welcome to do so now. Yeah, I- like you, I, I don't have a ton of authority to speak on this, but I will say that I think these conversations are important, having back and forth. Um, I actually, you know, I thought it was powerful what Ballard had to say about just being not racist yourself isn't enough. Like, we, we have to stand up for others. When we see injustice happening, we have to take action, even if we're not the ones doing it ourselves. Um I actually took the time, took the day off yesterday and went to one of the protests downtown in Indianapolis. And I feel, I encourage others who feel strongly about this to do the same. It it wasn't violent. It was peaceful. It wasn't scary at all. We all just marched 
together um, for the same cause, for justice, um, specifically for black people, but for all people. And one of the things, several people stood up and spoke, and one of the things they said is, so many people these days are stuck within their own echo chambers, and they challenged people to go speak with other people who aren't like them. If you're white, talk to more black people, follow more black people on Twitter, and just get those different perspectives, because so many of us just hear you know, our own culture, our own experiences over and over again, and we don't know what it's like um, from people on the other side. So I just encourage people to you know, reach out and to listen. More than anything, just listen and stand up for what's right. Because, like you said, racism is gross, racism is evil, and uh, it's all of our duty to do whatever we can. You can, I'm sure, follow uh, Joe at Roto Street Joe on Twitter. Myself, I'm at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chappell, though he's not with us, is at mchapel 51 We could share maybe some more thoughts there, here and there, uh, as this, um, as, as this uh, current situation that we're in continues to unfold. So... Uh, I, I hope it does continue to, to unfold. I hope this is nothing that fizzles out because there, there's um, there's some change that needs to happen. And I think it would be impossible to, to ignore that. Um, you can debate and talk about what change you think is necessary. But um, I think we can all agree that um, that change needs to come in, in some way, form or fashion. So, um, like I said, that's where uh, my discussion and my authority w- will end on this topic. So we'll, we'll, we'll shift gears to something that uh, we have a little bit more authority to, to discuss and break down. That is uh, back to uh, the Indianapolis Colts. And right now, as the offseason program is coming to an end, that means typically that you get those five or six weeks off, Joe, and then you come back from trading camp and you're just full bore into the regular season. That's when things really kick off and get going. And um, as great as the offseason program is, it's training camp where you really start to take steps, um, like significant steps um, together as a team uh, toward your goals for the year. And uh, some changes are coming to training camp this year. Um, as the NFL has issued this week that no teams are allowed to hold their camps off-site. So every team will have to hold training camp at their own headquarters. And also I saw that no team is going to be allowed to hold joint practices with any other teams. And Joe, those are two things that the Colts have taken advantage of in recent years. And Chris Ballard in particular has talked about the benefits of both of those practices. First off, being off-site and being with fans and having that extra element added to what training camp just practice is. And also the ability to have another team and practice with another team. It was the Browns last year. We've seen different teams in the past. It was the Ravens, I believe it was two years ago. So those are two things that the teams have that they have to make their squad better, that they believe will make their team better. It's the only reason you do things in the NFL, especially when it comes to practice, you believe it's going to make your team better. But right now uh, the NFL has said, put the kibosh on both of them. So we're not going to see either of those this season. Certainly disappointing for Colts fans who head out to Westfield. Absolutely. I mean, if if you went out there last year, you saw how many people were there and excited and thrilled to be there and watch their Colts, um, just the atmosphere at training camp. And I know that's something that the players fed off of as well. So I, I think that's something that both fans and players are going to miss this year is not being able to have that experience of training camp, going out there, taking your kids, seeing some players, maybe getting some autographs. Um, it, it it's something that fans look forward to every year, and hopefully it's something that can happen next year. 
So camp will be at the Indiana Farm Bureau Football Center on West 56th Street in Indianapolis, not too far from the Fox 59 CBS4 podcast studio, by the way. Um, the league's decision, they say, was made based on the medical assessment of current risk factors and in consideration for the health and safety of players and football staffs. Uh, that's what the Colts uh, let let go in a release. So we've got that going on. Um, also, the NFL has said that as of uh, tomorrow, which will be Friday the 5th, um, as we tape this podcast, coaches are going to be allowed back in team headquarters as well. Um, so that is another thing that will be allowed. At the same time, uh, they kind of uh, clarified that, saying you can only have 100 people total inside your team headquarters at one time. The NFL did. So um, I don't think there's any 100-person staff in the NFL. That might be a little too much on your coaching staff. But uh, you, you, there's a certain number of people that are allowed at team headquarters right now. Um, of course, getting it ready for players, getting it ready for coaches, and um, and with other rules, too. So, um, so coaches can come just so long as they don't go over that threshold. And uh, Joe, also earlier this week, Frank Reich was talking about that a bit. He said – that oh, he said at least earlier this week before the announcement from the NFL made it official today that the Colts might not go back to team headquarters. Colts coaches might stay where they are, wherever that is, just because you're in a flow right now with the players. You've got something going right now that that's working, they think, that that they're making progress in the offseason. And if, if you go into headquarters, that without the players, that might upset the current flow of things. So I thought that was interesting when Reich said it earlier this week. I knew I wanted to discuss it this this week on the podcast anyway. And now that it's coming out officially that, hey, um, the NFL is allowing coaches to come back. But the Colts, at least if they go by what Frank Reich said earlier in the week, will not be one of those teams to send coaches back to the facility, at least not yet until players themselves are, are allowed there as well. And at least not in a permanent basis. That's not to say one or two coaches might not go in for one or two various reasons. But I don't think if, like we said, if they're if we're going to believe Frank Reich earlier this week, it does not seem like it's going to be a uh, a mass return right now by the twenty or thirty person coaching staff, so everyone is there at all times. Sure, and you know that makes a lot of sense. We heard a couple months ago when this pandemic first began that Reich challenges coaching staff and players to master Zoom. And so if they're communicating efficiently virtually and they're getting everything that they need to get done without having the players on the field virtually, then why not continue that? It's safer anyway. Um, I, I just think it's a good idea. If you can't have the players in there to get on the field regardless, you might as well keep it virtual if you're just having discussions. I will add that the NFL is uh, allowing teams to return is also saying as long as it aligns with guidelines from local governments. So I'll, I will throw that extra caveat in there and it would align with um, uh, with with local government here. Um, just so certain places or have different rules like we've seen across the country. So that's um, just something that I need to throw out there to, to be a little bit more specific. Um, uh, the NFL is going to work with medical staffs to help implement a COVID-19 testing program. For coaches and football personnel uh, before players are able to return to team facilities. So once again, they're, they're taking steps right now. And I think, like, like I said earlier, training camp is, is the most important uh, target right now. Um, to be able to get players in for training camp is, uh, is kind of what I, it seems like they've been aiming at throughout this offseason, especially as things start to develop and phases of reopening plans by local governments were released. 
and you saw kind of along the lines of what people would be allowed to do just in the general public and the size of gatherings people were allowed to go to um, in the general public uh, would kind of align with getting a team back together for training camp specifically in late July. So that, that, that does appear to be the target right now. We hope that that continues to be the target that we will have hopefully somewhat of a normal, uh, normal training camp. And I mean, I just spoke with uh, Indiana football head coach Tom Allen earlier this week, and the big 10 is allowing teams to, to come back uh, and take part in some type of an off season workout program. Uh, it's like voluntary workouts, summer voluntary workouts, what they called it. So on Monday, Hoosier football will be back in part uh, down in Bloomington. So they're going to come back. They're going to have roommates. They're going to have workout buddies. They're going to have workout groups of some certain number of people. I, I think if college football can figure it out now, Joe, the NFL can figure out something to get a good number, if not all players on the field or in an area of I don't know how many football fields are out of the Farm Bureau Center, but uh, there are a good number of them. Um, so the, the Colts should be able to get a full team out there and working, even if it's working in different areas on the field, um, by the time that the start of training camp comes around. At least that's what we're all hopeful for, and we think that that's what the NFL is aiming for. Sure. I mean, I could see them doing something where maybe they break up, okay, offensive and defensive line you'll do on this field and you'll practice here, and then maybe another field you'll have receivers, you know, running routes against defensive backs and maybe a quarterback out there throwing the ball too, just so that not everyone's all huddled together if it's not completely necessary. Um, I think, like you said before, they're trying to open up slowly. You don't want to take too big of a step and then have a setback and can't, you know, get to training camp or the season or something like that. So I think approaching cautiously is what the NFL is trying to do so that the ultimate goal of training camp in the season can happen. Uh, also mentioned, uh, along with uh, the encouraging news from college football starting to come back, encouraging news from the NBA is the Board of Governors uh, will will approve a, a league proposal on a 22-team format restarting the season in Orlando, Florida. Um, so you'll begin training in July. You'll advance to training camp in Orlando later that month, is according to sources. Um, and I, that, that might even be official by the time this podcast drops, honestly, that Board of Governors meeting is happening right now. So when Woj tweets it, Joe, it is likely to come to pass. So uh, like like um, it should be encouraging for the NFL, once again, that the NBA is taking steps to getting things going once again, that uh, the light appears to be at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully. We'll yeah. Keep those fingers crossed. We'll, right. we'll see. I mean. Um, like we said before on the podcast, that the NFL is in the best position of all these um, major sporting organizations and being able to wait um, because their regular season starts later than the rest of them. So they can kind of see what other leagues and organizations do, see what works, see what might not work, what mistakes other, you know, the NBA or other organizations might make. So, um, like you said, keep those fingers crossed, light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully we'll have football come September. We all hope for that, and we hope Mike Chappell will be back for that as well. Yeah, I, he, he will certainly be back for uh, for football in September. Uh, likely the chap returns next week. Uh, you guys might have to go without me next week specifically, so our podcast listeners will rejoice. You will not be hearing my uh, docet tones next week. It'll be Joe and Mike uh, likely holding down the fort as uh, I take some uh, some PTO time myself and uh, enjoy a little bit of time with, with the family. Um, but 
you can follow us on Twitter. I gave our, our handles earlier. We'll do it again. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Joe is at Roto Street Joe and Mike Chapel is at mchapel51. Uh, you can submit questions for the Colts Blue Zone podcast to the handle at Colts Blue Zone and follow us there as well for your Colts news and notes throughout the week. Be sure to download and subscribe. Get our podcast delivered on a weekly basis as soon as it drops. You can go to Apple iTunes. You can go to Google Play, to Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. And hopefully most of you have done that already. Just a reminder in case you came across this podcast in another way to subscribe to get it delivered on a weekly basis. So we do thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And uh, we will see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>